on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Ahoy there. Welcome aboard. We've got a lot of good fishers on the big fish, people who leave me for dead. I love it. But these are guys who, who live and breathe it and do it every day. Alex Bellissimo is probably the most remarkable because he fishes off the shore. He's a land-based fishing guide around the hardest fish places in Australia, around the, the northern beaches and the rock platforms and, and the northern side of Sydney Harbour, wherever he can walk with a rod. You'll find him there, and he catches fish. And he's just launched a fantastic uh, series of YouTube videos. And you may remember Alex telling us all about his techniques using unweighted garfish on the surface and, and luring the big kings off the rocks. I think the best he got was 24 kilos or even more than that, which I just can't believe. But you will believe it when you see this video and see this technique and see this kingy smash this garfish from right underneath his feet on the rock platform, putting into practice what he's been telling us about. It just is the most extraordinary sequence. Hey there, how are you going? So Sydney land based fishing for kings off the ocean rocks. Uh, one of those things you get up with a donut, get up with some fish. It's often quiet, but some days can really, really produce. You know, so there's nearly always a few rats there. The bigger fish come in, uh, well, there is periods when they come in. And sometimes you can have consecutive days where day after day just produces. Right, gars, soft plastics, poppers. I don't know what, exactly what I'm going to be using today, but I'm just going to have a crack at most things. There's a mate out there. Wow, that's about 75 to 80 centimetres out there. Beautiful. Alex Bellissimo. <laughs> that's just it great. Whack on my guard, destroyed my guard. That was half destroyed. Then it came back and went whack again. <laughs> it came back and went whack again, and it's right at your feet, Alex. How exciting was that? Good morning. Oh, incredible, mate. It was incredible. And the thing is, I never get bored with it, Scotty. You know, it's just one of those things, mate, that. It's like it's, it kind of reminds me of that Groundhog Day, Ground, Groundhog Day movie where it just, just it just it just never gets it never gets old, mate. You know, it's fantastic, such good fun, and I the enthusiasm. And when I listen to myself on audio, mate, I go, it sounds really, it, it looks looks and sounds really a bit embarrassing. But it's almost like love making there. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
<laughs> hey, and listen, the, the love of your life is behind the camera. Uh, this is a great partnership. She's fantastic. She's very good, mate. And uh, you know something? She doesn't love fishing so much, right? But the thing is, she's willing to do this, which is really, uh, you know, really fantastic, you know? And the thing is, like, it's, it's like our partnership between each other when it regarded, because it's like our little business, basically, uh, you know, the YouTube channel. And, uh, you know, you know she, she'll, she'll actually climb anywhere and go anywhere as well, right, you know? And for someone that hates the sun and, not, and is not that keen at fishing as well, mate, I am very, very lucky, <laughs> <laughs> what I thought was great about that, you've been on this program and, and really been enthusiastic about this technique with Garfish saying, if you want to catch a king from the rocks, this is absolutely deadly. It's as good as it gets. They can't resist them. Fish it the way I tell you. But to see you do it, to see this king, this 80 centimetre king, get interested uh, about 10 feet out from the platform that you're on and then smash it once. Uh, and then smash it right at your feet, and then you wrestle it out of the kelp to to get it on shore before it knew it was hooked almost. I mean, it was absolutely as much physical effort as I think I've ever seen a fisherman put into it. It shows you what you've got to do. Or the other thing you told us about catching really big ones that you can't manhandle like that is to not even let them know they're hooked. I mean, it was just a very good bit of filming, and I'm sure there was a lot of footage between those uh, those hits, but uh, it just exemplified what you've told us. And you, you're there in the the, the nice uh, little uh, life jacket too, and always talking about safety. So it's a, a good addition to, to what you do. Um, I, I guess it's it's the fish of a thousand casts, though, isn't it? It is. It can be the fish of a thousand casts, and there's and, and there's quite a few shoots that just don't you, you just don't achieve anything, or or sometimes there's a shoot where I just get completely destroyed. Or the hook pulled out, you know, um, or I couldn't get to my favourite spot because there's too many people there. Because I'm, you know, as you mentioned earlier on, it's in a very, very heavily fished um, area in the Northern Beach suburbs of Sydney, and um, you know, there's a whole bunch of complications. The seas are too rough, it's too windy, it's pouring. As you know, you can't really fish it. You can't really do much filming when it's pouring rain as well. You know, there's a, there's a lot of complications involved. You know, so. I try and hide the spots as much as possible, as you probably noticed, <laughs> right? So, uh, but look, you know, at the end of the day, what, what, my main aim is to is to get people revved up and burlied up, show them a bit of technique. But when I get them out on my fishing guiding trips, right, I show them as much. I don't I don't hold back. I show them everything I can, right? So, uh, where to fish, how to fish, how to do it safely, um, how to extract those fish too. Because, you know, some of the techniques can be quite complicated, com- quite complex when it comes to extracting the bigger fish, you know. So, as you know, as you know, you saw, you know, you sort of, you you, 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 you underscore yourself there, Scotty, because uh, you, you were saying that you, you know and you're as good, but you are a very talented Well, I'm a quick, quick learner. I, I remember a session we did a while back on, on beach fishing. You were talking about reading the gutter and the accuracy of casting, and you said you've got to get it right on that edge that's being eroded by... Uh, the rip that that's the, the, that that interface between the the shellfish and the worms and all those things that are being exposed on that little drop off and you get your polaroids on and and honestly I was with a mate and I was casting my worm exactly on that drop off letting it come down that little shelf of sand bang whiting bang brim bang tarwine bang dart he was about two feet away nothing 
and that was Alex Bellissimo's knowledge uh, being put into action. So I may not know it all, but I'm certainly a fast learner, mate. But isn't that incredible, you know, that, that when you hear those those techniques and know, know where to cast, particularly beach fishing is very difficult, it's safe, but it's, it's featureless for a lot of people. They can't see why that fisherman's catching so many fish and the one five feet away isn't. Well, look, it's so important to... Isn't it great that we got ways to be able to see what the topography is, the undulation of the bottom, the topography, so that way you can determine that's the shallow water, um, that's the lumps, like the mounds of sand you see in a beach hole. Like, say, so you see a big beach hole and you can see the mound of sand there, you can see the wave breaking there, and it's thanks to the wave that you can actually see all this. You can see the puffs of sand, you can see the clarity of the water, you can see... Um, Basically, what, what what the bottom is, you know, according to what the waves are, especially especially from the sets to the lull period, that, that variation can 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 be a huge difference as well. The the height of the tide, right? You know, the difference between the the low tide to the mid tide to the high tide period, you, you can actually determine what's going on, and, and and therefore you can be able to pinpoint where you need to fish. And the other thing that you taught me in that episode was to to move. You know, if that spot doesn't produce move, there's a great video you put up of, of getting the beach worms and then catching the, the fish. It's just a, a terrific one too. Your most recent one was a bit of a surprise. Even even you, you go out to target something and you can be surprised. Tell us about that uh, capture. It was a beautiful, beautiful well, game fish. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say to my wife, I said, look, you know, it's, it's been nearly a bit of a donut day. We got an undersized kingfish. I got a sergeant baker. And I said, look, I'm pretty hungry. I want some breakfast, right? And you know something? I'm, I'm just going to use this garfish up. And the garfish was falling apart. And um, I had a strike, right, uh, on the drop. But, but, by the way, listeners, on the drop means that it, it's actually on the sink. So you cast out and your bait's sinking. And I'm, and, and I'm, I'm counting as well. It's like counting a lure sinking. You also do that with the bait. And it's on the sink and bam. My rod loads up, and I, I missed it. I went, oh, damn it. And then I just lowered it back down again. I didn't wind it back in, and rod loads up only three seconds later. Bam, I'm hooked up. And I said to my wife, I said, oh, I, I think it's just a shark. And she very nearly switched off. Mate. She, she said, look, oh, you know. But later on, she told me, I very nearly stopped the video from going. I said, I'm so glad you didn't. <laughs> it ended up being the cobia. Mate, I was flipping out when I seen it was a cobia, mate. <laughs> You know something, I caught a cobia back in the early 80s off Colroy Beach, and it was on a gang pilchard. It was only about two kilo, right? And that was pretty thrilling. But things, I, didn't, I wasn't really sure what, exactly what it was because I was so young. You know, I was only about 16, 15. But when I caught this cobia, this is my second one ever, I was just, yeah, I was gobsmacked. You know, it was just incredible. Let's have you know, a listen that, to that moment when you're so excited, when you realise what it is when it and that's just the great part of fishing i've i've got that right now and just to put it in context alex thought he'd hooked a shark so you'll hear a few disgruntled expletives and then when he sees the cobia everything changes and all of a sudden it's vital that he lands this fish bastard coming up to the surface bastard feels like a shark anyway cobia is that a cobe no way. Can't be a cove. What? No way! It's a big cove! No way! 
I'm not going to wash it up here. I'm going to have to move it down here. I can't. You've got to be freaking kidding. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? This is why we fish, Alex. It's just such a great scene when you bring this big black king, black, black kingfish, as we used to call them. Now, now we call them yeah, cobia. Yeah, exactly. Up onto the rocks, a really rare capture, a beautiful eating fish too, and they get to immense sizes. Well, look, I really, I was looking at this code, right? I was going, God, I want to take you over for dinner, but I'm going to release you, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it was a great, great uh, sequence. I feel really sorry for it, you know, so we we ended up releasing it, but I do believe they are one of the most amazing fish to eat, right? And, but, but going back to landing it, it was, see, so on camera, you can't, it's a bit hard to see how steep the ledge was, but it was very, very steep. It's a steep vertical, and you really got to time it, and you've got to position yourself in exactly the right spot to wash up the fish. And, you know, it, it, was, it was a damn fish, hard fish to land, although even on film you can't exactly see how hard it was. It was pretty damn hard to land. You had to wait for the right wave. You had to be very patient, didn't you? Just kept its head out of the water and waited for that big surge to come up and... And, and lift lift it out, but they fight really hard. But they're cleaner than kings. They also follow other fish. So maybe you had a king on that got off, and this cobia was interested, and and it was the one that took. I, I don't know. They, and they do school up as well. But it's really great that someone like you, who spends so much time on the rocks fishing, can get such a surprise. I thought it was such a a, a great uh, episode of your YouTube channel. Just type in Alex Bellissimo. And uh, you can find his whole channel and you can follow a lot of the, the different stories. The other great episode was a really good snapper, probably, a, I don't know, a three or four kilo snapper off the rocks. That's the holy grail too, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Look, look, there's anglers up and down the coast that get snapper uh, every year that are a lot bigger. But catching one off Sydney and on like year, it's just incredible. You know, So using something that's only around sort of six or seven kilo grade or mono, and, um, you know, it just makes it so much more fun. Not having the, the really heavy gear, you really get the true fight of that snapper. Having those rough conditions where you've got to keep your senses, you've got to keep alert as well, because you're not just playing out a fish, but you're actually keeping an eye on the swell as well. Keeping out, keeping an eye on my personal safety and my dear wife's personal safety is paramount. You know? So, uh, And then finally landing it. And, and that was really hard to land. That, that last that was about 60 centimetres. What would that weigh? That'd be three or four kilo, wouldn't it? It'd be at least three kilos, yeah. yeah. But look, yeah. It was, it was uh, I get snapper every season, even a bit larger than that. So around Sydney, I get them up to about 70 centimetres. Some some years you get them even larger than that. Um, but, but look, it was just it was just the, the difficultness of, that, of landing that fish and that very, very powerful parallel drift um, and that water going parallel as well. And and then having to wash it up and, and, and getting that backwash to wash back up where it filled back up and then bang, it was on the rocks. was uh, That was extraordinarily difficult to land, that fish. Uh, so uh, Such a beautiful snapper, too. You never get tired of, of looking at those colours, do you? Uh, look, 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 snapper snapper for me, one of my very, very... they got a close uh, place in my heart, basically. They're very... Uh, it's so exhilarating to land snapper. You know, was that with um, on a softy or something? What, what, what did you get that one on? Well, no, I was fishing soft plastics, right? And I love catching on soft plastics. It's just that novelty of catching them on a on a plastic or or a hard body, m- mostly on soft plastics. But that was on a bait, that one there. Yeah, you know? yeah. And were you 
specifically targeting snapper, snapper? Have there been a bit of a swell? And, and you know, they, they do come in close after a bit of a swell, don't they? Well, yeah, yeah that, that happens to be the case. But you can also catch snapper, even though there hasn't been any swell, you can catch them. But that's called wash fishing. So wash fishing for snapper is using the lighter sinker weights with burley, in conjunction with burley, and um, say a two to two to four o size hook, half to three quarter pilchard. Um, you can use squid strips. You can use um, tuna strips. You can use um, whole, whole king prawns or endeavour prawns and so forth. Uh, unweighted, and, Alex? You were unweighted. Well, no, it's actually um, a variation of sinker weight. So, so you sinker weight. It's very important to have the have the right size sinker weight. Um, according to how much drift there is. So if, if you're using too light a sinker weight, well, um, you know, you may not get down to the fish. If you're using too heavy a sinker weight, well, then you're not you're drifting too fast. And therefore, the snapper are literally going, I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so... It's not um, natural, so yeah. It has to look natural. It has to look mm. natural. You know, so... But I, 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 just, just going away from the subject of, of um, like, surprising fish to catch... I don't know if you've seen my video about the dolphin fish that I caught off the rocks. No, no, I haven't seen that one. So that's yeah. a, a surprising capture because they're usually out out in the blue blue ocean, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, I spun up. I had five strikes, and I got three dolphin fish. And look, okay, they're only small dolphin fish, but catching dolphin fish off the rocks was now that was really truly extraordinary because there is some cobia caught off the rocks in Sydney. Um, for pretty much most years, but catching the dolphin fish off the rocks was truly extraordinary. They're only little, that. little tiny ones, but um, we've like had fifty-five centimetres, sixty centimetres fish. Yeah, I'm just having cool. a look, having a look now. Yeah, very, very interesting indeed. Um, one, I think the last time we spoke to you was about um, the, the the queen fish because we had a at the same yeah, time the that fish, yeah. you caught that a, a young kid yeah. in Brisbane water jumped off the wharf onto one that was lolling around in the shallows. It got too cold for it. The, the warm water had brought it down, and uh, oh, it was about the fun. same same size as the one that you caught off the rocks. Yeah, so yeah. they're a real rare capture, aren't they? Oh, incredible, incredible! Look, I just I just love the fact that you just don't know what you're going to catch, no matter. Look, one thing a beginner or an advanced angler has got in common, we just don't know what we're going to catch sometimes. We may target a species. So the beginner doesn't know that they're actually targeting the species because they just want to catch a fish of any sort. The advanced angler knows that they want to target a specific species, but still what we all what we all got in common, we just don't know. It's a mystery sometimes. Yeah. And that mystery, when it comes out of the blue, is just so exhilarating. We're speaking with Alex Bellissimo, um, who's a a marvellous rock and beach fisherman around the the northern part of Sydney and and takes people out uh, for charters, which is a a rare thing. We don't have, I don't know if we have any land-based charter fish shows. Um, I think you'd be the the only one in in the country. It's a hard gig being a fishing guide, you know. Estuary estuary, uh, rock and beach fishing is what I um, guide my clients to. You don't do any boat fishing though, do you? You, It's all off the Shanks pony, isn't it? Oh, look, mate. I um, I get the same colour as Shrek, basically. When I, if I go out in the boat, but, uh... <laughs> you get the sea sickness. But um, the, the one thing that I have learned, Alex, the one thing that I have learned is that you have to go out with a plan. You have to go out to target something. Sure, if you catch a double spotted queenfish, well, that's that's wonderful. But you were targeting probably kingfish or something. I would guess. You know, you you've got to go out. And so I'm going for Mulloway today. I'm going for Taylor today. I'm going for Snapper today. Don't you think? I mean, you do need to go with a plan. 
hundred percent you need to go over the plan. Look, look. But I'll, I'll give you an example. A client landed a hundred fifteen centimeter jewfish last night, right? And uh, that was on. Uh, so I was using live baits and and butterfly yellowtail. Wow. Right. And um, you know, now now even though you target jewfish on the northern beach suburbs of Sydney, they, they they can be quite hard to catch, right? So, um, and and by targeting that species, your results are much better. Basically, so I'm not going to go into so much of, of, of how to target them, but by targeting your jewfish, actually exactly what you mentioned, by targeting jewfish, by targeting your tail and salmon, your whiting, by targeting your, all your rock species or your estuary species, your results are just that much better, right? Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, and if the incidentals come come along, you won't knock it back. Alex, I think it's marvellous what you're doing, and it's, we've spoken for so long and you've talked about these te- techniques but to actually see them putting, see you putting them into practice and and getting the results, it's, it's really exciting. So good luck to you. Well done to your uh, beautiful better half, who's uh, making you a TV star as well as a radio star. And, and tight lines. What anything to target? What's what's on on at the moment for the the northern beaches and uh, Sydney well, Harbour anglers? Anything to target at the moment? May I say right now, you go. The, the tides are really good for a jewfish. You got your tailor and salmon as well, and you got you got plenty of dusky whaler sharks, so they're good fun as well. They're they're up to about one point two meters, and they're great fun uh, on on light tackle. Um, your your as I mentioned, your brim and whiting, tailor and salmon, jewfish off the beaches, off the rocks. There's snapper, there's rock blackfish. Uh, your, your groper, well, your groper are a year-round species. There's ludric around at the moment. The, the brim, the brim are on fire at the moment. But there's plenty of brim as they're travelling. Um, in the yeah. estuaries, you've got your whiting, you've got your flathead, you've got your brim. You've also got mackerel tuna. So talking about estuaries, basically, I'm talking about Sydney Harbour. So you've got mackerel tuna, you've got bonito, you've got kings as well. Uh, you've got your ludric. Look, it is... That, we're heading towards that transition, what I call the transition period, which is the... And Trevallier coming on the bite too. Yeah, I love the Trevors. I love the Trevors. Yeah. We're we entering into that transition period where we've got the cooler species, cooler water species, mixing it in with the warmer, warmer species, which just adds to more species to catch. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. it's on fire, Alex. Hey, we've got to leave it there, mate, but I reckon you've got love a it. lot of people yeah. thinking that you don't need a $60,000 boat. Um, you just need to get out and walk and enjoy the beaches, enjoy the foreshores and uh, catch a few fish and, of course, take care on the rocks. Tight lines, Alec Bellissimo. We'll take, uh, catch you next time on The Big Fish. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers, mate. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. And coming up on The Big Fish, Stinker has had one of the best days on the water ever, but he had to wade through knee-deep sharks to get there. That's coming up on The Big Fish.
This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Here comes Stinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find them? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Morning, Stinker. Hey, g'day, Scott. Uh, Stinker, it's lucky you're not shorter after what happened on Tuesday. <laughs> I believe you were... You were waiting with the sharks. Well, I didn't intend to, Scott, but this has been all action this week. I mean, some weeks go by in Fingal Bay when absolutely nothing happens, but this past week has been action, action all the time, and it's mainly been generated by the incredible amounts of mullet that have been on our beach. They've come out of uh, the Hunter River and Lake Macquarie and and they've gone north and uh, they've been, the commercial fishermen have targeted them on Stockton Beach and One Mile Beach, and then they get to Fingal Beach, and, uh, oh, gee, the numbers have been quite incredible, to the degree that I was pushing stink pot off the beach uh, earlier in the week, and the mullet were jam-packed in Kitty's Corner where I launched my boat. In amongst them were... Um, the grain of the sharks, and here's me trying to push my boat into the water in amongst all these, all these, all this action. It was quite extraordinary. Oh well, hopefully um, you you made it through, and there weren't anything other than grey nurse because there's a few bull sharks and a few bronze whalers, and then the odd great white or young great white that uh, has a feed on them too. Well, there was something else extraordinary in the corner, something I have never seen before. And I noticed it as I was going down the beach and I ended up stopping and talking to one of the uh, commercial fishermen, Glennie Tarrant, who's the, the, um, there's a pioneer in fishing. He's a family around here. And I said, have a look at that bird in the corner in amongst all those sharks and fish. I said, what, what is it? He said, do you know what that is? He said, it didn't look like a seagull, and I knew it wasn't a pelican. I thought it might have been a cormorant, but he said, do you know what? He said, that's a duck. <laughs> and I said, duck, how do you mean a duck? I said, yeah, the ducks don't. He said, you have a close look. Go and have a close look at that. And I went down the wall, and there, sure enough, was a, just a regular old pond-dwelling duck floating around in amongst all this mayhem, as happy as you could possibly be, you know. What? <laughs> oh, What's I've going on? I'm blown if I know. I've never, ever, in all the years I've been here, ever seen a duck, even in the water here. I saw a swan once, which was quite remarkable, but then later when I came back from my fishing trip, which was absolutely sensational, when I came back, I saw Glennie Tarrant again, and he said, you know that duck? He said, that duck paddled onto a wave and caught a wave onto the beach. I said, oh, not a surfing duck. I said, this is just all too much for me. Gee, it's amazing that one of the sharks didn't look up and, and have a, a duck feast. Well, I think they're so full of mullet they can hardly swim. Yeah, yeah. and does the mullet have an impact on the snapper that you target stinker, do you think? Oh, look, I... I got some mullet off the commercial fisherman, fresh mullet, and I said, this stuff has got to work if, oh, to catch a snapper. So on that same trip, I went out, I think it was Tuesday, 
Uh, yeah, it was. Anyway, I went in and I uh, filleted the mullet, and I um, and then I cut it crossways, so I got long slabs of it crossways, and then I just pinned the six o hook into one end of it, and I got I think would have to be one of the greatest catches of snapper I've had for oh for many years. Oh God, I got I think seven or eight fish. Uh, all between three and five kilos. They were magnificent fish. Gee, that's extraordinary, isn't it? And you've changed your style too. You, you're set and forget fishermen. Now you used to hang on to the big alvey, which you had to maintain, make sure you didn't, you know, get overrun and all that. And let it, uh, you know, you needed your palm drag and all that. But now it's um, you've become a modern fisherman, haven't you? Well, I'm a, I'm a very lazy fisherman because, as I mentioned, I think, last week, I simply toss out my unweighted bait uh, and then stick them in the rod holder. And of all those beautiful fish that I caught, and I also caught a salmon um, and and also two or three kingfish, which I try to avoid, uh, and then a few bonito, they all hook themselves. So the, the rod just bends over and the reel screams. And then the biggest problem, which is is a real problem, the tension on the line and the rod is so great that it's very difficult to get the rod out of the rod holder because it's it's on an angle and it's pressed on an angle and you're trying to pull it out, but the pressure of the fish is so great that it makes it difficult. But, oh, they were such beautiful fish. But the salmon, I, I took the salmon and I filleted the salmon when I got home um, and skinned it and cut out the red meat. Then I steamed it for three minutes in the microwave and then I got the fork and, and um, mushed it up and I cooked three potatoes, uh, medium-sized potatoes, and I mashed all that up and I had some shallots and a little bit of diced onion and a big dollop of mayonnaise and one egg and I mixed all that up together and I rolled it in breadcrumbs and then I cooked it in peanut oil. Oh, gee, it was sensational. Ah, oh, that's a great way way to go with it. And, and they're um, beautiful, those mullet that you're using for bait too. If they're fresh, they use the roe, don't they? get $80 a kilo for the roe. They love them in Europe and, and Asia. But um, a nice fresh slab of sea mullet, not only tasty to the snapper stinker too, they're good in the pan. Oh, oh, magnificent. Oh, I've been so fortunate lately. We've had some beautiful seafood meals recently. But I did notice that down on the beach, the commercial fishermen always have a fire going. And and on it is an old grill, an old sort of rusty old grill. Well, they just um, fill it the, the um, mullet and open it out, butterfly it out, and put it straight on the grill underneath it, just a, a slow heat, like a medium heat, uh, coals, no flames, just coals. And, oh, gee, it's beautiful, oh. absolutely beautiful. But the funny thing, I went out again on Wednesday. I took my mate out because he's always itching to catch a, a big snapper. I said, well, look, I brained them yesterday. Well, I'll that one, you out. that five kilo one, I remember that in the old scar, that's over 10 pounds, isn't it? Oh, they're, they're beautiful fish. All beautiful fish, a whole lot of them. I only lost two, and the hook pulled on two two fish. Well, if the hook pulls, that's just 
bad luck. You can't do anything about that. But if your hook, your line breaks or your knots give up, well, that's pretty much your fault. But if a hook pulls, well, that's just part of the game. But I took him out on Wednesday when conditions were totally different and the wind went to the north, which is hopeless for where I fish. Actually, I've always cursed the east wind on this program, but the wet, the east wind was what was blowing on on um, Tuesday when I got all those beautiful mm. fish. And do you reckon that the, the salmon predate on the mullet, or do you think they're getting the, nah. the chopped up dead mullet from all of those grain earth sharks and sharks hitting them and, and you know, biting into them, that, that they're sitting under those schools or something? Why, why nah. were they so keen to eat fresh mullet? Oh, the, the, uh, the snapper? Yeah. Oh, well, the snapper, they, I think they'd have a go at If you had fresh tail, that would be good bait too. But because the scent of mullet is in the water, and the, I mean, and if you put in a, f- a fresh bit of mullet and float it down a burley trail in, over snapper country, snapper's just going to go wallop. And that's exactly what they did. Oh, I had the time of my life. And we, I, we did speak. Uh, last week too, I think, about getting double hookups. Well, that happened on a couple of occasions. And I never, oh, actually, I've got two little um, snapper that would still have measured, but still they're only between 30 and 32 something. But all of them, the snapper were really good ones. There's only two little tight lounge which, which I let go. But um, And then the wind swung around on the, the next day when I took my mate out and we caught, oh, then the kingfish took over and we got two small snapper. This is the following day in the same spot. This is how things can change because of the wind. The wind blew, me, blow you right away from where you want to fish. And, oh, gee, it, it's frustrating because you know where you want to be, but you're going in the wrong direction. <laughs> so you didn't do any good? Oh, well, like I said, we got, I think, uh, a couple of, three or four kingfish but they're just under they're just under but they cause mayhem because they take a lot of pulling out of the water those things uh, you know and then I thought of, oh that was the previous day I thought I'd had a kingfish and then it leapt out of the water that salmon leapt a metre out of the water gee they're spectacular yeah and they get big too don't they stinker I mean there's nothing to get one six to eight pound um, they, they are a big solid fish Oh, this was a cracker, like, as far as salmon go. If I had caught another one, I'd let it go. I only want one salmon because mm. I can make oh, about eight to ten fish cakes out of one salmon. Oh, gee, and, and I had them for meal one night during the week with a white uh, white sauce. Oh, nice. With some um, choco and, oh, gee, it's beautiful. That's a Absolutely lovely meal. Beautiful. Absolutely lovely. No, we, we tend to do a bit of... Um, Use coconut milk and use some coriander, and it's an acquired taste, and a bit of uh, sweet chili, and mix that through, and then they're they're more of a Thai style, uh, but they do take well to fish cakes, don't they? Oh, that, that's all I'd use them for. I, I, you couldn't use them any other way, in my opinion. I mean, the fisheries or not fisheries, but the fish market attempted to convince people that salmon was worth eating, but. You can't trick if you don't like it, you don't like it. No, it's just not a, a very nice fish to eat any other way that I can think of. 
other than to make fish cakes. That's what I call them. Mm, mm. And when the fish cakes are on, that's it. You go out and catch a fish cake. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Actually, the, the tip for those ones that, that we make, and we use the shallots too, uh, a, a powdered coconut milk. That's, that's oh, yeah. yeah, in in the mix. So it's, it's and, and the potato as well. You've got to have the potato. I think that's the good, the good binding agent. And then fry them up, and you're just browning them because they're already cooked. Uh, as you That's say, right. they're already cooked, so you're just browning them. Yeah, they're a good, they're a good, uh, a good feed for sure. And there's nothing wrong with a slab of the sea sea mullet either. I mean, that's that's a beautiful thing, fresh, isn't it? So different to those mullet in the estuary. They just taste so much better. The the fishermen have been the commercial fishermen, and we've been on the beach all week. And it's really worth watching if people visiting here for Easter holidays, and the kids go back to school soon. But those that are coming this way or are already here, come out to Finger Bay and have them watch these guys work. It's quite incredible. It's been going on for a lifetime. I remember watching it when I was growing up, up up north, um, and along the beaches up to right up into the in southeast Queensland. And they go up as far as Double Island Point and uh, and Fraser Island. So the, the mullet run starts down near Naruma and ends up there near, uh, up past uh, Fraser Island. So it's a massive movement of fish, and it's so sustainable, Scott. I mean, that people come and look at it and think, oh, this is not very sustainable. Well, it is, and yeah. this season has been one of the biggest uh, that I've witnessed in all the years I've been watching. Well, I was out having a, a drift around for a dewy the other night, and I saw a number of huge mullet jump in my estuary, and they run out of my estuary where I fish as well. So some must go and some must stay. You know, there must be, they must mature, and, and off they go to breed. And, and obviously plenty of them uh, don't get netted and, and, and breed successfully, or they wouldn't be uh, in the estuaries in huge numbers, would they? That's, that's what happens. They're, they're in stages. So it takes around about three years, I think, for a mullet to mature. And so that mob will go out to sea while there's still others that are, are immature will stay in the estuary system. And there are so many little lagoons and, and backwaters that get cut off from the main rivers and uh, the potty mullet will stay in there. There's a golf course that I play with. It's got some, it's got some little lagoons that are just fed by drains. The, the mullet get landlocked in there. They seem to stay in there and get bigger and fatter and bigger and fatter and they're awful when they've been eating weed. They're not... Not the nicest thing at all. And then all of a sudden the flood comes and they go as well. So there's so many of them in the systems. They just seem to uh, have found a niche where they can really grow big. Well, they're very adaptable fish, mullet. You can find them way up in the fresh water or then in the, to the brackish water and then back into the salt. And then out they go to sea. And, of course, when they go to sea, they purge all the mud, the mud muddiness out of their system and they become quite a beautiful fish but until they go to sea they've got a pretty poor reputation of being muddy which is well earned because that's <laughs> that's on their main diet oh yes uh, don't eat I them don't know how you can have much of a meal out of out of mud but but mullets seem to have worked it out yeah, don't eat them out of the, the estuaries they taste absolutely rotten but uh, they can also survive in very low oxygen water you know in some of those lagoons i was telling you about at the local golf club they're the only thing in there. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, no, I they're they're amazing fish mullet because I've I, this year I know one haul they had was over twelve thousand boxes, 
and and that's a lot of fish. And that was only one haul. I mean, there's been numerous haulings uh, over the past fortnight. A couple more weeks as well. They don't get them all though, do they? I mean, there's no. They'd get a, a fraction no. of them, wouldn't they? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, these fish will be hauled at, at Foster and and Port Macquarie and and all the way up the coast, uh, up around Coffs Harbour, way up Tweed Heads. They'll be starting to think about it now because the Tweed Heads. When they arrive, the mullet arrive up there, it's later than it is here. And see, they all go to, or a majority of the mullet go to Chindra to be processed by the Markles company there. And then uh, they're transported all over the world to do all different sorts of things. Mike uh, sent me some great photos of them being being harvested down uh, around Foster, down Old Bar Way. I might be able to put some of those up on our on our uh, podcast site as well. And wasn't Di Morrissey fantastic last week on the program? Oh, Gee, she's yeah. an amazing storyteller. I can see why you and her get on like a house on fire. Well, she's an iconic Australian, you know, like Slim Dusty and, and those, Henry Lawson and those we've looked over on the past, Banjo Patterson. She's a storyteller. And really, we're short of them. We're running short of storytellers. There's got to be more younger people that'll say, right, I, I want to tell stories and I want to delve into the some of the really things that are typically Australian. Australia, we've got so many stories to tell, Scott. I mean, we tell a story every week, don't we? We do. <laughs> not like a bit of a yarn stinker. It's not wrong at all. It's a great place and uh, it does generate terrific characters and stories. And you're one of them, mate. Thanks for joining us again. Hello, <laughs> Scott. The Big Fish with Scott Levi on ABC Radio. Rob Paxavanis, welcome back to The Big Fish. Yeah, my pleasure, Scotty. Good to be on air with you, mate. Yeah, great to have you on air with us. Uh, driving back from a successful sojourn to the beautiful South Coast, where you've been filming for Fishing Australia. What did you get up to? Oh, we did a couple of really cool things. We uh, Darren and Jan Redmond are back in town, and so we filmed with them, uh, Masters of the Estuary Fishing, amongst other things, and... Uh, we also did a real cool little trip out with uh, Trap Man, who's uh, a commercial trapper who goes and traps fish there, and he's pretty popular on social media. And um, that was a, uh, an eye opener for us too. That's a, a, interesting. We don't talk so much about the commercial fishers, so it'd be great to get your insights in, into that style of, of fishing. What about the estuary fishing? What did you target? Well, what was really interesting to me is we went for, for blackfish in the Bermagui River, and, and, and Darren and Jan, of course, are just maestros of, of understanding the fish in there and how they move and the tides and everything and they were honestly the best black fishing I've ever seen when we were when we were fishing with floats every drift we got them um, using using the weed the usual way and um, he did it slightly differently we anchored in the boat and we we let the float drift back and um, yeah you know which obviously there's you know thousands of them down there every every drift we got a we got a bite and it was great fun so and uh, fishing with uh, Darren and Jan, who are, who are a couple who fish together everywhere, was uh, was was a bonus. But, um, yeah, great great fish, you know, great strong fighting. Oh, Darren uh, and Jan agree that you know they're a really underutilised uh, resource, and it's a dying art. The whole centre pin reel and and float and and, and weed fishing. And uh, look, uh, you, we caught that many more fish than we would if we went for flathead or whiting or, or brim. It was just spectacular. I think mean, it's the sort of thing I would take absolutely anyone to do it. I think anyone would love that sort of fishing. It's great that you're elevating the humble ludric 
to yep. um, t- TV star status because they're terrific fish. There's so many of them in the estuaries. They're just yep. so sustainable, and they're good yeah. to eat. Skin them, bone them, oh. fillet them. They're good to eat. We had a couple of the Burnie Beach Hotel cooked us up a little cook up, and it was just it was. I was I had a smile on my face for the next 24 hours. Just beautiful, um, really really nice fish. And, and and like I said, I asked Jan. I said, "What why why do you like these?" They started fishing for them again over COVID because they couldn't travel too far. And and she nailed it. She just said, "Look, they just you, you get lots of bites. You're always busy. You get to watch a float. You know, you just feel like a little kid fishing again." And and I like they, he's um, going to take he's taking specialised trips to teach people that art. So. Hopefully we see a resurgence in it, you know. Um, he certainly understands it very well and certainly the numbers of fish are there. Did before, you burly so. them up with the sand and a bit of chopped weed? He, he did and he taught me one. There's lots of things you'll see in the program coming out later this year, but he taught me when you collect the weed, you get the one with the little mollusks in it and they, they, they really love that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, sand and chopped up weed and, yeah, that, the burly helps as well. But you can do it off the jetty there. There's a jetty just... Uh, there's one main bridge in Bermagui. There's a jetty just upstream of that, and that's that's right where we were. That's where you caught the uh, the huge mulloway out of the kayak. That's one of the best TV sequences I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty pretty fun. It was pretty good fun. But I'll tell you what, though, I, this I'll probably rate this more. You know what I mean? It's just it's just just so yeah. much fun. Like, and I, lots I of downs, lots of downs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know the the down that Scotty's talking about when they pull the float down every drift. Every drift we're getting good downs and, um, yeah, to, to, to lift into a nice fish and they fight so hard. Um, yeah, just, 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 just great fun. And fun, good size? Know. Good size for estuary loop? Every, yeah, they're pretty good. They're all legal. A couple under, a couple, couple of bit bigger. They're probably averaging about that 31, 32 mark. Oh, um, they're, they're really good fish. They're really yeah, good every, fish. He, he was, Darren said they were, every day they're different. Sometimes every 35 to 40, you know, mm. every day's. Just the school, the size of the school that's there, but there's there's no there's absolutely no shortage. I've said, Darren, are you worried about you know filming this near the bridge? He goes, no, you won't put it into the population. You, you no, just, there's so many yeah. in there. That of course it's a yeah. recreational fishing haven. And then he went out with yeah. the, the the famous trap man uh, to get oh. snapper. Is that a sustainable practice too with the the trapping? Yeah, well, I wanted to find out for myself and, and look at it because I I did talk to Jason Moisa, the trap man. Um, who's huge on Facebook and stuff. He I wanted to see how he does it and stuff, you know, because there's nothing better than going to see it for yourself. And no, he's really good. Actually, he's got some great underwater footage and stuff. And you know, I, I, I think it's very sustainable. Look, there's a small operator, um, you know, the second generation trapping guy. He's got a quota that fisheries tell him, you know, this is allowed, this is how much you're allowed to catch per year. So he's got to stick to that religiously, or he gets in big trouble. And he does. He's he's a very sustainable guy. Like the the, the trap, for example. The um the inlet hole I uh, forgot the name of it, but he it 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 um it's a smaller size, so the big monster snapper don't go through. He mainly catches the pinkies and the moeys, and that's what he wants. And you know he 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 puts the trap down, you know, for a few hours, sometimes overnight, pulls it up, and might have half a dozen pinkies and and um, some moeys. And he <laughs> you'll love this. He gets tons of leather jacket. So the rec guys will be cheering for him on that one. Yeah, the old tent um, snips, the old tent snips. Oh, that's that's good that he's not taking the big breeding fish that he's uh, organised the yeah. the entrance to his trap to select the the, the plate size um, uh, pinkies or, or squire as as we call them call them which are yeah. popular. And I guess he'd be a useful bloke to know 
you know, when they're on too. I mean, he'd, he'd have a pretty good idea of when the snapper uh, are in good numbers off the south coast. Oh, very, very, very handy contact. Great fella. His heart's in the right place, you know. Um, he takes his daughter India fishing every day. He can't get to sea. But the the, the really cool thing was the bycatch um, is, is is virtually non-existent. If he, if he pulls in, we, we filmed him, you know, pulling in. If he had an undersized pinky or a... Um, um, the old wife fish—that's what I call them anyway—or any any fish that's undersized or protected, which there's not too many of. It's pretty pretty selected targeting the right size fish. Um, any of those went straight back. They're alive and flapping, and back they went. The net comes up pretty slow, so there's not a lot of paratrauma. It was actually really really good. Hey, I'll let you get back to the Sunshine Coast. Great that you've been uh, down on our south coast uh, in your old stomping <laughs> ground, Rob Paxavanis. Uh, my pleasure, Scotty. Enjoy. Have a great day, uh, morning, mate. We'll uh, look forward to talking to you again. Catch you next time. Drive carefully. Rob Paxavanis there, the host of Fishing Australia. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.